And welcome to the show. It's horror host and filmmaker Michael Pickle here to promote some of his upcoming projects, including Pay Up, among many others. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You've been based in Dallas, Texas area for quite a while, or is it just one of many outlets? Oh, no, I'm, I'm actually in the L.A. area. Okay, nice. Okay, you're just networking with a bunch of different types. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. Uh, but a lot of connections and a lot of fans and stuff in Texas. Okay, very cool. So uh, where did you study film? Or did you just go out the gate and pick up a camera one day? Yeah, I just picked up a camera one day. It was, it was uh, around 2006, 2007. I explored a uh, an asylum, an abandoned asylum in Downey, California that was supposed to be haunted. And then uh, I came home the next evening and uh, uh, I was sleeping in my daughter's bed. My my daughter was in wife in the bed with my wife, so I just went ahead and slept in her bed. And I woke up the next morning and there was like voices all around my head, all around my bed. And there were demons there in the bed with me. I don't know if I was seeing things, having some type of delusion or if something followed me home from that, that asylum. But it just gave me this idea and I just got bit by the film bug. And I just went out and started trying to make movies just to prepare for this, uh, this one I'm working on now. Very cool. Uh, what, 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 what year was this? Like a few years ago? Yeah, like like 2006, 2007, and then uh, Ooh, I started wow. making my <laughs> yeah, I made, yeah, I made my first film, uh, Stab Awake, and it was in the vein of the Dead Place. So I wanted to do movies similar to that in order to prepare for it. And the rest is history. I've done I've done tons of short films since then, music videos, uh, my feature film. I did a TV show on on Roku that was pretty successful. So. Everything I've done has been leading up to this. Okay, very nice. And all together, um, what were your inspirations? Uh, mostly uh, just the, the horror I watched growing up, especially indie horror like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Evil Dead. And then I, I loved the, like, the, the drama and the, the quality of, of movies like The Exorcist. So... Um, I'd always been a film buff my whole life, and I was actually a singer at the time that I went into that uh, asylum. Oh, so nice. I, what, did a, you, yeah. what, what kind of music did you sing? It was uh, progressive metal, and we, we played all around L.A. We played the Whiskey and the Key Club, and we had a pretty good following here in L.A., and then once that ordeal happened to me, I, I just went headlong into filmmaking, left my band, and just have been in filmmaking ever since. Very cool. What gets you up in the morning, other than that one scary incident years ago? What makes you just say, okay, it's time to get to work? Well, first and foremost, I'm a writer. That's where everything stems from. That's why I was a musician. That's why I was a singer, a lyricist. I'm always a writer, first and foremost. So that's that's what gets me up in the morning. I, I, I need to create art uh, in some way, shape, or form. And uh, this this one I'm working on now, that's what's driven me for the past 15 years is just knowing that one day I would be ready to make this and one day the planets would align just right to make this. So that's that's what's been keeping me going. And it was it was hard for a while, believe me. <laughs> oh, very cool. Um, 
So you've just mentioned some big key elements. Um, how do you analyze your crew and make sure that you're ready to rock and roll? Uh, well, what I do is I've done quite a few projects now. So each time I work on a project, there's there's always standouts in in every team that you put together to make a project. Correct. And then I would take those standouts with me in, in each in each project and then bring them along to the next one. So that's how I've accumulated to this awesome team I have now. We teamed up with uh, Gargoyle and Media when we did my TV show. And uh, so a few of the guys from uh, Gargoyle Media is the one that's working on me, on uh, the Dead Place with me. Like uh, Steve Deering, he's a, a script analyst. Like he, he, uh, he worked on the script for the John Wick films and Hotel Artemis and, and uh, uh, The Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman. So, so he'd done a lot of quality films and he, he recognized something in my writing. So it's kind of just uh, teaming up with, with different standouts that I've, that I've worked with over my career. Very neat. Um, and when analyzing how the internet worked and how there was just so many alternate outlets than before uh how did you uh, decide to analyze it all and say okay we got different distribution methods now the, the whole uh way of doing business has even changed up yeah i mean everything kind of aligned like uh back when i first started in horror horror wasn't as nearly as big as it is now so things kind of have kind of evolved and uh I kind of evolved along with it. And like when I did my TV show, I, I ended up starting up a podcast just so we could have clips to go on the TV show of interviews and stuff. So that kind of led into, you know, meeting people and getting connections and stuff. So we already had an internet presence just from, from having the show and then having the podcast. So it kind of really, uh, uh, we're, we're kind of ushered into this, uh, you know, information age, this, uh, the social media juggernaut, because we had just tried to stay present and tried to stay visual the entire time. So we're, we're, I was constantly putting myself out there, putting out reviews and interviews and, and just anything I could, any, anything and everything horror. And then just, we, we just built this following and it kind of just translated into everything we're doing now. It's it's almost like it was meant to be. Totally. You don't have to have all this sense of doubt or just moments where just you're not sure if you want to continue. It's just like just keep trucking along. Just oh yeah, it it gets discouraging because th this can be a thankless business sometimes, and then and then you you finally think you have a break, and then the person is just out to bleed you for money or or get you to work for free on something I, I worked for free for like at least 10 years i worked for a studio setting up uh, uh putting up sets for them and and writing copy for them writing articles for them and then i had my my tv show on a on a roku channel and we brought them about four million viewers in one year and these people did nothing but take advantage and I see no money from any of it. So it was really discouraging. And it, it almost made me quit when I didn't see money from my show. Because when I saw the ratings go up to 4 million people, when we started out with about 10,000, I, I thought that was it. And then I was going to be able to pay, get paid for the show. And then I, I was going to use that to fund my my uh, feature films. But 
that kind of fell through and we couldn't get any money for it. And I, I said, screw it. I just jumped into the feature film uh, pool anyway. Is Sydney Pickle uh, your spouse? No, that's my daughter. Oh, okay. And she was a she was a co-host of my show, so she she always gets a lot of attention anytime she's on camera because she's such a personality. So uh, when I started doing the Dead Place, I told her to come on with me and just come on on Sundays just for a few minutes to give everybody uh, an update because people love seeing her and it's worked because people love watching us uh, uh, Sundays with Sid every Sunday of her antics nice we'll return after these messages do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between goku and superman hi i'm james gavsey and on the who would win show me and my co-host ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. Yeah, <laughs> not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like Robocop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts, or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Cool thing about Blind Knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the U.S. We are in the U.K. We are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. Blindknowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto, all things that we love, all manga that were originally published in the legendary magazine Weekly Shonen Jump. But not every series can run for 300 chapters and have a hit anime. This is David. This is Jordan. We're the hosts of Shonen Flop. Each episode, we look at manga that ran and jumped that didn't quite make it. We discuss what it did wrong, what it did right, how the series could have turned itself around, and ultimately, was it a flop or not? Run all your favorite podcast apps, and you can find us at shonenflop.com. Keep on flopping, floppers. Uh, how would you describe your writing style when you just put pen to paper or start typing it up? It's it's very personal. Um, there's there's always a lot of darkness in, in everything that I write, from music to movies. It always has to be something dark or scary about it. Uh, and I write from a personal point of view, like how I would react to things, and I try to make it uh, human and real. So uh, my goal as a writer is to is to be writing a scene, like a, a scene will pop in my mind, and I'll start writing it out, and then a character will come in the room and start talking. I, I won't know that they're going to come. I won't think about them coming. I won't, uh, you know, formulate any kind of plan to have them in the scene. They kind of just walk in and like in my mind. So that's what I try to do, like a real flow of consciousness where it's kind of where the piece kind of writes itself. That's the style I go for. Very neat. Um, so 
how do you avoid i ask this with everyone because i think it's a very overlooked part of this and i think anyone who's even been to a college will encounter it or sometimes even at a festival unfortunately um how do you avoid a uh, snobbery because there's just always going to be just some other indie guys picking on the little guy oh it's not as epic as sam raimi and then you'll see others who are <laughs> like oh it's not high budget like Christopher Nolan is like no shit Sherlock I'm making an independent <laughs> film so how do you weed out just the dickheads the ones who are just all there to papoo and troll and it's hard to see at first until you're in the thick of it so how do you avoid it and get a feel for just vibes in the room that are a little well, hostile I've, I've learned to block out the you know the haters and the trolls because that's exactly what they are they they really don't have much to say besides that so uh i've taught myself to handle them over the years because i've been a, a movie reviewer and i worked for i've been a, a horror journalist for for quite a long time so i got into uh, interacting with people in groups and there, there's some really toxic people out there you know so i got i learned to really be even tempered and also with the people i've worked with I worked with, uh, you know, that was a rookie when I first started out. So I ended up picking the wrong people. And I worked with some people that were a complete nightmare. So I, I consider myself lucky that I, that I, you know, worked with a lot of really bad people early in my career. Because that, that way it, it makes it much easier when I face these things You can now, see so. it when it's about to happen as opposed to, whoa, 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 what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, and that, I was in one group that I had to quit uh, as a contrast, and it was like it was paid, but someone made a deal of sharing the budget, and I was just like, okay, you should have run that by me. But then other people were just like, oh, it's not professional. It's this budget. I'm like, you are got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it can be micro budget. It can be big budget. If it's paid, it's not unprofessional. <laughs> yeah, well, I ignore critics like that, and then. When I do something good, I just enjoy silencing them. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a lot more people should utilize that instead of just continually just like engaging. And it's like, well, eventually this is going to make everyone look awful. So it's best to just move on, <laughs> leave the group, go to a better group. And yeah. Uh, so uh, what, what cameras do you heavily recommend a lot? Like that are just way more reliable for you, especially when we're now in a post- uh, digital digital age well th that's a tough question for me at this point because uh i worked with the panasonic hvx for years just mm -hmm. because almost everything i dealt with was no budget so it was i still had my old camera and then when when things started getting a little more budget and then i started getting a team with me then i would bring people on to that had cameras but with with this project here uh since we've done most of our stuff on a no budget, we're going to end up renting a lot. So we're, we're going to use a red camera on this one. And we have a, a camera guy who's, who's experienced with the red camera. But other than that, I've, I've come up with uh, either Panasonic HVX and we've used a lot of uh, uh, Canon. Very cool. Um, now that's a very cool point because there's many who just, they can't even justify why they're shooting on whatever or they're getting in arguments with various people who basically just you know want to argue about 
oh, you got to shoot on this, you got to shoot on that. It's like, just shoot it and justify it, you know. <laughs> it's cost efficient. It's, I like the look, you know. <laughs> it just seems yeah. like many just want to just, again, complain for the sake of it. Yeah, and then if if the camera, like the our camera guy now, uh, Joaquin Silva, he's he you know he constantly researches the new equipment and he researches whatever we're going to rent for the project and then he comes to me and he, he kind of pitches it to me he tells me you know that this is this is, can do this and this and here's an example of what it can do so so he really brings it to me and and uh and analyze and helps me analyze exactly what's good and bad about uh the equipment so that's really good to have that's good uh now Again, so what what kind of camera uh, styles do you like prefer? Like just kind of in the moment shots, over the shoulder. Or what? How would you describe your style? Well, uh, what I do, especially with my first uh, feature film, Pay Up, I got tons of coverage, which is you know, uh, get the wide shot and then go in for the for the close ups for you know each character and then i get tons of coverage to cover from, from from every angle so that then i have plenty to work with in the editing room and then when i finish those shots then i go for the more cinematic shots i like a i like a mixture of you know uh straightforward coverage to where you can let the dialogue shine and then that kind of transitions into the more cinematic stuff like uh, uh dolly shots and tracking shots and, and overhead shots and stuff like that and uh like extreme close-ups on certain objects and things like that so i like to mix you know standard standard filmmaking just to to get the shot and get the coverage and let the dialogue shine and then i like to mix that with with more cinematic shots okay very nice uh, how do you recommend, how long do you recommend a typical shoot be? Well, one's different, uh, but it's good to just kind of get a sense of like, what's a common one. Cause it varies. Well, when I did my feature, my first feature film pay up, we did that one in about five days and I would not recommend doing a feature film in five days because no. you have to rush through. <laughs> At we, least you we, got your hand, feet dirty and tried it out, just to say you did it. Yeah, and now you know. We we barely got through that shoot with that with such a limited amount of days, and we had to pack so much into each day. We weren't allowed the luxury of being creative with the shots, but luckily we we still came out with a good movie because it's it's really strong actors in it, and uh, I really gave them some uh, you know some good dialogue to chew on him some very dramatic and and different okay no very very nice and all together um uh what what do you think kind of just uh got you efficiently running the most like just where you you could tell the energy wasn't being deprived and people were ready to get to work well, it, the one thing is the the team that I've accumulated over the years. Uh, there's no egos there. Uh, we kind of run a smooth set. There's never there's never any drama on my sets. There there was at first for the first couple of things I did because I picked the wrong people, 
But ever since then, there's no drama on set. We're very accepting. And another thing I like to do on my sets is bring professionals in and I make sure I bring professionals that have no ego. And then uh, we try to bring in, you know, beginners, people just out of college to be uh, production assistants and stuff. And we kind of teach them on the set. So there's this atmosphere of, of, of learning and, and uh, a lot of these uh, students learning are privileged to be on a set. So you have that, that hungriness there. Mm-hmm. And then, the, and then, since the professionals I work with have no ego, there's no, there's no clashing there. Everybody kind of just gets along. So I, I like to keep it that way, where there's no, there's no drama, and it's veterans kind of uh, nurturing young talent. Very neat. Uh, everyone has a fun story where just something just comes across in the shot, and you're like, "We got to use that. We got to." uh look for that um what are some fun ones where you're just like hey i don't know how we got that but i'm glad we got it in there hmm, that's a hard one well there are, there are things like uh on the like unexpected things that come in like we were filming my first short film stab awake and uh i took a bunch of people up to a cabin and then we shot one weekend there and there was a big, huge refrigerator right in the middle of the room that we were filming. And then the next time we came up to film some pickup shots and film the rest of it, that refrigerator was gone. Uh. So we, we kind of really had to, to pull some tricks and now watching the movie, you can't tell. <laughs> it's kind of there one minute and the next minute it's gone, but we did, had to do some creative uh creative editing and some creative shooting to get around that. But there's also another time when uh, we're filming my second short film, uh, uh, The Campsite, and uh, I was standing in the bushes and I was about to jump out of the bushes and attack a character and I had a spiked bat in my hand. And just when I was about to jump out of the bushes, there was a big bull mastiff dog right there in my face, just snarling, just about to attack. So I didn't know whether to hit him with the, the bat or run or, or what to do, but I was about to be attacked. <laughs> and all, oh, all of a sudden, I, I heard a very effeminate voice, like on the other side, behind some trees. I said, Crispy, get over here, Crispy. And it was, it was some guy with his dog, with this big, huge dog, and he called him away just in time. I thought, I was, I thought we were about to have a dog attack in the movie. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so <laughs> that's a close encounter. All right. uh, <laughs> what made you all together? Like, uh, do you storyboard or do you shot lists? Yeah, I do both. I, I do a, a detailed shot list, and uh, that's where I get our coverage in there. And I try to throw some creative shots in there, too. I try to plan as much as I can down to the T. So like I said before, so we can get the coverage done and then we have time to play and time to be creative. And then uh, there's certain shots that are so etched into my head that that uh, the best way to communicate it to the crew and to the camera crew and everything is to just storyboard it. So so I do shot lists and, and those are very detailed, but with the storyboards, I only do like key key scenes where I just got vividly pictured in my head that helps with the editing too and with time 
because if you have a storyboard and you have uh you know a scene fully storyboarded out then you don't have to get a bunch of the coverage you can get a little extra coverage but you can pretty much know what you're going to do in the editing room when you have it all storyboarded out i 1000 all better yet 2000 percent agree with you i i've had to good or bad productions i've always had to say okay you, you know regardless of your distribution plan or what have you yet you guys got to give us something you know like give us a shot let's give us a storyboard don't have an idea of i don't know we'll figure it out that's keyword for i don't have a fucking clue you know? <laughs> yeah exactly because the the less you stand on set discussing things the better everyone should already know what they're going to do before they get I on set. can't tell you how many shoots i should have walked off the minute everyone <laughs> had everything and they still yeah. didn't know what to do it was like yeah. you can't be serious <laughs> we had one where the cinematographer was late and he knew damn well what the call time was it was six which means leave at 5 30 you know <laughs> yeah and he's like oh i didn't know where to park bullshit clearly says free public parking oh i've i've, I've had some doozy cinematographers like on the on stab awake the first cinematographer i got he came in and, and like I said before, you know, it, it was about 16 people that I that I brought up to a cabin. So I rented a cabin and then brought all those 16 people up there and fed them and everything. And then this guy got up there lighting a party scene and he's putting spotlights on the ceiling and he's lighting it from all around. And he's just flooding the whole room with light, like taking hours to do it. And I'm like, this is a party scene. There's supposed to be some shadows here we need to rush through this we got to finish it this weekend and he was just so defiant what what he was doing is he was hijacking the production so he could get something crisp and clear to put on his reel but he didn't realize it was a you know a low a very very low budget production and we didn't have the luxury to sit there and spend hours to light a simple party scene i worked with a douchebag like that as well and it was a matter of I'll just keep just keep this short. Basically, he didn't know where to arrange it, and then he kind of got it in his head that he wanted to be the director. So he just would ask, keep telling the director, "I need some help," and the director kept saying, "Okay, well, I got five hundred assistants here." You, and then basically wanted to boss all us around. It's like, well, no, we don't even know what you're asking us to do, and you're just yelling at us now. So, I think you just want to yeah. be in control because you. It's, I don't know necessarily that you got a big head. It's just you got either dementia or a identity crisis. <laughs> this is not what you're supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. It, they, it they really is amazing. Head, I know better than you. They say, <laughs> I know better than you, and I'm going to teach you how this is going to be. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, just let's not, guys. Let's not. <laughs> yeah. Just amazing, really is. Uh, all together, um, um, all well, what are some? Uh, you you've done some acting as well. Um, uh, what confidence uh, factor did you have to just kind of say, you know what, let, let me give it a shot. When I first, I used to live in uh, Mississippi for 12 years, and I moved out here to California in 95. So uh, I actually wanted to be an actor and a singer when I first came out here. So I actually went to some acting classes and 
I had had a southern accent, so the first thing they had me do is work on my southern accent and get rid of it. So I got <laughs> nice. rid of that. So, uh, and and then that's when I got into music for quite a few years. So I got used to being in front of a crowd. So then when I started my my movies, I'm like, well, I need a bad guy who's going to do some really dangerous stuff, so, and and I don't want to hurt anybody. So I'll, I'll just be that bad guy. <laughs> so what I did is I just took my my experience that I had and uh what I do like like if I'm a killer I have to sit there and imagine that the people did something really bad to me and I really do want to kill them like they hurt my family or something oh so man. That I, I kind of get in this emotion and this um, emotional place and I kind of pretend that it's real so that's what I do when I when I'm acting okay wow <laughs> that's that's very intense um all together um what what do you think is your current driving force right now well it's it's this project the dead place because even i wanted this one to be my first feature film but it ended up being where i got a, a budget from somebody else who wanted to do the the pay up movie mm-hmm. so you know everything every, like i said before everything i've done has been leading up to this so it just feels like it feels like i've had my head down my whole career and just driving forward and driving forward and then this is the first project where i felt i'm finally lifting my head up and everything's happening like i always thought it should everything has been so hard in my career and everything's been an uphill battle and then this seems like the one thing I always knew in the back of my mind, this is what started it all. And this was really what was going to get my name out there is the dead place. So this is what's driving me now. I'm I'm 100% hyper-focused on this. And uh, it's actually a trilogy. So once I finish this, I'm going to go right into part two and part three. And then I have another uh, script written. It's called Voodoo Village. I have that already written, and, and that one's like a, another demonic slasher. I like um, that name. <laughs> I also I also have a, a one called Sadistic Sexuality that I wrote. It's a it's a, a horror thriller, like a, a erotic horror thriller. Hmm. And then I also and then the other one that I want I want to do pretty soon is one that I'm doing for my dad because uh, my grand my grandfather's entire family was killed in the, in 1920. It was a guy that had gotten my, my aunt pregnant. And then he told her that if she told anybody that he did it, that he would kill her whole family. Jesus. So he actually, yeah, he actually did that. And then my, my aunt crawled up in the attic and survived. And she ended up, uh, you know, being the, being the only witness to, to get the guy hanged so it's it's a you know true story that's been in my family and kind of passed down over generations and so my dad really wants me to tell that story so that that's another that's another uh, personal project that i have on the horizon well, in the world of true crime but, people but are the main thing something is, more yeah so the main thing that's driving me now is the dead place and i just want to get to a point where i just go right from one feature to the next to the next until I get all these features out of me. <laughs> Very awesome. Uh, right now, um, 
uh, how has the crowdfunding been going? Oh, we're doing really good. We're about uh, 58% funded, uh, 20,400. 20, we're almost at 20,500 with 99 backers. And we have about 10, 10 days left. So we're really going to push uh, these last couple of weeks and push through the, hol uh, the holiday season through Halloween. And we're really uh, riding off the success of Terrifier 2 because uh, Arthur Clown, David Howard Thornton is, is in this movie. So everybody is just rabid to see this guy again. And uh, everybody's excited also because he's a... David Howard Thornton is a classically trained actor. Like he came up in theater. And uh, so he's, he's a very, uh, you know, per, you know, he's a, he's a very, he's a fun personality. He's and he, he makes everybody laugh when he's in a room. So it's so crazy that, that this guy with this big personality became famous for being a mute clown. So everybody's excited to see him come out and be like a wisecracking. Like he's more like Freddy Krueger in this one than Arthur Clown. Oh, wow. That's wild. Very wild. Uh, so uh, just well, what, what are the links to the crowdfunder? Uh, you just go on uh, Indiegogo.com and just type in the dead place. Okay, nice. And it'll cool. come up at... at We'll keep we've been staying up towards yeah we've been staying up toward the top of the indiegogo uh, trending too so it'll be pretty visible on the site there okay great uh any other circuits you recommend everyone check out some people like the festival circuit other people find it a waste of uh money or just very hard to get to in between taking time off work uh what, what is your current recommendation right now at this time post-covid well, uh, working. Yeah, well, certain festivals have been really good to me, like Shockfest Film Festival, and then uh, a big thing that really shot me out there was uh, getting into Joe Bob Briggs Festival, the Mutant Fest. Mm. And he he uh, he charges nothing to enter. You you enter for free, and then he he chooses you know a choice few shorts and features. So it makes it that much more special when you when you get chosen because he he gets thousands and thousands of entries. So that really did a lot for me. Like I, I have Joe Bob to thank for for making me feel like I could jump into this feature now, because he chose my my film uh, Extended Scare Package. It's a short film that I did for my TV show. He chose that for the first annual Mutant Fest, and then we went out to Philadelphia to attend it. And then we met with his distributor that he works with a lot for the with the movies that he's in. So then we got a distribution distribution deal for pay up through through that. So I, I have I have Joe Bob to to thank for a, a lot of things that are happening in my career right now. That is very special. Uh wow. <laughs> Some unit fest and shock fest. Man, I'm gonna have to get on that. Uh, any other festivals you recommend or you're tempted to try out? Uh, Shriekfest is a great one. That's that's one of my favorites there. It's uh, I've I've attended that for quite a few years in a row. And I, I started out being a, a horror journalist. And uh, Denise Gossett would let me in and just give me full full access to everybody in the the uh, festival. So that's that's the way I got a lot of my connections as well. So that's a really cool festival where they have... <clears throat> 
Well, they have some higher end films, but they also have some really low budget creative films. There's no sign that, hey, you know, if you want to enter, you know, got to give the entire world on a stick, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> programmer. That's yeah. good. That's really good. Okay. Well, I feel like we've, we brushed up on a bunch. Um, any other just plugs you want to, or final thoughts you want to share to other inspiring creative talents? Um, well, just just keep going. <clears throat> I mean, keep if, going. if you got some, if, you if know you got who some... told me that my that was my, uh, not uh, not improv. I mean, similar uh, stage combat keep uh, going yeah. keep trying to sell it keep just go the minute you stop it's all dead it's all for nothing yeah if, if you know that you have talent and you know you have something to offer you know that just keep in mind that this can be a thankless business and you and you could go for years just spinning your wheels and not make it you got to you have to do it for the love of it but then one day it could just happen you just stay consistent and then people notice it that's that's what's happening with the dead place right now. People have noticed that I've stayed consistent all these years, and and I'm trying to I'm finally trying to do something big where I've done a lot of no budget stuff, a lot of low budget stuff. I've been taking advantage of a lot in my career, and this is the one time I'm stepping up and I'm I'm doing something big, and the fans are really responding to it. That is so cool. Okay, well, very badass, sir, and I applaud you. That's some good stuff. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for making this chat. You know, and again, we just continuing the trend where it's like, if you're going to talk to someone, you know, it's like, they don't have to be a big name. They don't have to even be someone who's been doing it for a while. It can just be someone who's got a story to tell and who's got, right now, I can see why people want to work with you because you have just a chill feel to you all where you're just like let's let's just do something i'm just feeling it right now <laughs> yeah I've, I've tried to keep my integrity I've, I've tried to stay professional all these years and and not screw people over because there's too many people that screw others over in this business and mm -hmm. I, i'm just happy that, that people are finally noticing it's not easy <laughs> no it's not <laughs> well let's hope someone notices yeah it keeps giving you a chance so very badass sir and you stay safe out there in the meantime all right thanks a lot i, I look forward to uh listening to more of your podcasts absolutely I've, I've had a good time today okay well thank you <laughs>